It's Aspen Insight from the Aspen Institute. I'm Marcy Krivenin. And I'm Ben Berliner. In Insight, Ben and I travel the halls of the Institute and introduce you to the changemakers behind the work we do. Whether they're tackling health disparities, inequality, security, or climate change, our colleagues are working to find solutions to problems all around the globe. Today, we examine how a lack of trust is threatening to topple America's democratic system. For decades, trust has been declining in institutions such as the media, journalism, and our information ecosystem. Aspen Institute Communications and Society Director Charlie Firestone says a crisis is looming. Losing trust in your government, in your system, in who can run the government, in who the other is, uh, is really a, a recipe for disaster. A Knight Gallup survey shows Americans believe media have an important role to play in democracy, but newsrooms aren't fulfilling that role. The public doubts reporters are unbiased, in part because anyone can publish online. There are fewer controls on accuracy, says Firestone. In the media, you know, everybody is a speaker, everybody's a publisher. Now, People are interested in creating disinformation or misinformation. So you've got now as a citizen, as a consumer, to sift through what is real and what isn't. Fact and opinion are getting blurred. Financial troubles are closing newsrooms. And the public lives in echo chambers. We can't agree on facts. To stop this decline in trust and strengthen American democracy, Firestone's program partnered with the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. A commission was formed, the Knight Commission on Trust, Media, and Democracy. So we established a 27-member commission, uh, bipartisan, uh, has people from the left to right, middle, academia, media, technology companies, uh, regular business, to look at this problem. The result of the commission's work is a 150-page report that gives recommendations to tech companies, citizens, and the media. The group traveled from New York to San Francisco and Wisconsin to Colorado, meeting with local citizens each time to first uncover the problems. One problem, news deserts, or communities that lack local news. Mizell Stewart is a member of the commission and a longtime journalist. He now directs talent, partnerships, and news strategy for Gannett and the USA Today Network. It's the largest local to national news network in the country. I sat down with him to discuss the decline of local news in the digital age. How have local newsrooms suffered in this new kind of atmosphere? Well, you know, what I would say is that, you know, local journalism, as it has traditionally been practiced by local newspapers, has been under stress for quite some time. Uh, And it really has involved the transition of advertising dollars um, away from uh, local market players and, you know, into larger and larger and larger uh, corporations. And in the day and age that we are now, they are larger and larger digitally focused uh, corporations. So... You know, the digital advertising market consolidating among um, organizations such as Google, such as Facebook, and the difficulty that local media organizations had in adapting to digital audience and and digital revenue is is really, uh, I think, been the number one story as it relates to how market forces 
taken funds away from local journalism. And what has been the result? I mean, newsrooms closing probably, but also harder to attract journalists into the industry? Well, newsrooms are smaller. Uh, you know, newsrooms are smaller because the, 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 the business is smaller. You know, again, you know, we're seeing, you know, a, a, a corresponding level of growth in local broadcasting in part because local broadcasting has not been affected as strongly by digital disruption uh, as local newspapers. But we believe that that digital disruption uh, is going to affect local broadcasting uh, at some point. And so, so, you know, we believe we're really at, uh, at, at an inflection point now and, and need to look at a variety of different uh, funding sources. In many, you know, very small communities, many um, weekly newspapers um, being the sole source of information for, for that community, um, again, as uh, changes in the advertising ecosystem affect uh, the revenues of those those very small uh, newspapers. We've had them close, leading to uh, what is referred to as a as a as a news desert. Um, you know, those are, are are mainly very small communities that you know would not otherwise be served by a a broadcaster or a, a larger. Uh, daily newspaper, and so that's a that's a that's a very significant concern. Um, and and why is it a concern? Why you know what is the problem with people consuming less local news? Local journalism uh, has historically been an independent check on local government, uh, an independent check on community institutions, uh, an independent check on the powerful. And when those local uh, watchdogs, uh, when those voices are silenced for economic reasons, we believe that that uh, truly poses a threat to democracy. Um, and and we, we see it in our national politics in this way. Uh, when more and more local issues become nationalized and the debate really revolves around issues that are not specifically local issues, but in, in, the, in the absence of you know, independent local news, national news and national issues gain traction when communities really should be debating what's happening at the school board. And you know, there's 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 not uh, a local weekly newspaper in in that community to bring those issues to the attention of of the public. Uh, you know, we find that people are you know discussing and debating issues that um, are 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 in the national scene rather than in the local scene, and we find that uh, that is a problem. heard Mizell mention looking at a variety of different funding sources. To help local newsrooms survive, the commission recommends more giving. They came up with new nonprofit models and they call for the creation of a national philanthropic entity. It would fund new and existing journalism organizations across the country. Another reason for increasing distrust? 
more and more people doubt the media is fair and unbiased. To address these problems, the commission came up with additional recommendations. They think more diversity within newsrooms would help reporters tell stories that reflect the entire community, not just one section of it. Here's Charlie Firestone with the Aspen Institute. Another area is greater diversity, getting the media closer to the audience. Not just racial and gender diversity, but also geographic and uh, political perspective diversity in the newsroom, so we've called for that. The commission also decided more openness is needed around the way newsrooms collect, report, and disseminate news. Firestone explains the radical transparency recommendation in the report. So we need to know who the reporters are, how they get the story, and where their biases are, if you, if you will. We hope that that will really give the reader a lot better opportunity to see what the truth is in that uh, story. Meredith Artley is a commission member. She's editor-in-chief for CNN Digital Worldwide and plans to use recommendations from the commission's report in her newsroom. One takeaway for her is a concept around institutionalists and insurrectionists. That was a light bulb for me because it was the recognition that sometimes we, the media, journalistically, uh, we shorthand the left and the right, the red and the blue, but there's another dimension to consider. And that is, uh, the concept is, as I have thought about it and internalized it, ha is, is this idea that there are people who have benefited from institutions and people who have gotten a college degree and feel like it's worked for them very well, people who work for big organizations, uh, people who have benefited from uh, institutions that they feel like have mostly done right by them. And then there are people who feel like those very same institutions have not served them at all. Uh, it could be for a wide range of very valid reasons. Uh, maybe healthcare is hard to come by, maybe uh, college education was never possible, or if it was, maybe they're loaded down with debt. Uh, maybe they have some very legitimate reasons that they feel like they can't trust uh, the government, the banking industry, their church, their, me their media organization at a local or national level. This idea that there are people who do not feel like they have benefited. And uh, they're okay to see some of those things get challenged or mm -hmm. in some extreme cases uh, burned to the ground. And that idea of we've moved beyond, it's it's... It's a gift of sorts that President Trump has given to us. We've moved beyond this kind of political left and right and into uh, an awareness of a different framework to think about uh, people's motivations, uh, whether it's politically or just kind of how they see the world and what's working for them and what isn't. That is a framework that we need to consider in how we think about the stories that we tell every day and who we tell them for and where those people are coming from, what has worked for them, what has not worked for them. It's far more nuanced and far more interesting than, oh, someone is a Republican or someone's a Democrat. Those, those walls have been kind of blown away. Right, right. It's not as easy as just putting someone from one side, uh, you know, hearing that perspective and then hearing the other side's perspective. There's more to it than that. Totally. That's right. This this kind of, you know, false equivalence, that's been something that journalism's been grappling with for some time. It's not enough to say, oh, we got to get both sides of the story. A lot of times there's 
way more than two sides to a story. Uh, so it's been a, a, a lot of this process with this commission has given me some time to, to think about uh, some of the practices that need to be uh, evolved in journalism. Uh, and that includes some of the, the assumptions that we make and some of the tropes that we've been falling into for a long time. Uh, so let's evolve out of that and uh, and serve our audiences the best way we can, you know? Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned the transparency uh, piece as well. Is that, um, you know, somebody on stage today said it's time to open our reporter notebooks um, and be more transparent. Is that different from how you were taught or thought uh, in the beginning of your journalism career? Um, how open should journalists um, be, I guess, in this new world of, of trying to, to distinguish truth from yeah. non-truth? Yeah, I think we should push it as hard and far as we possibly can. I. I can't see a whole lot of scenarios where it's a bad thing to have too much openness. I mean, there are absolutely times like, you know, we need to protect our sources. There, there are some of those things that are, that are kind of the, the practices that back up the tenets of journalism and a free press. But why not be as open as possible? Now's the moment to do it. Why not take opportunities if you're a, a writer, a reporter, or an editor, to find ways to connect with audiences about the story you do. There's still some people these days that, that think that once a story is published or broadcast or distributed in some way, shape, or form, that it's done, right? We did it. We, you know, we went through the process. We edited it. We did all the things that you needed to do to fact check it and make sure it's right and compelling and accurate and all that good stuff. And now it's out. And now we can go get a drink at the pub. That's not right. That's the beginning of the conversation that you have with your audiences about the story that you did. That's the beginning of listening to feedback. Uh, that's the beginning of looking for what's next. Is there, is there another thread to pull? Is there another person to talk to to evolve a particular story? Most stories you can apply that to. And uh, we do that okay sometimes. Could we do better? Absolutely. Uh, could we have more overt connections to our audiences uh, on the variety of digital platforms and uh, other forms of media, whether it's you know television or print media or radio or all of it? Are there other ways that we can serve our audiences by reflecting their voices, engaging them in the stories that we're doing? Um, I think that's a real opportunity for us. And I think it will increase trust at a time when we need to increase trust more than ever. How do you see the loss of trust uh, from viewers of CNN or people using CNN digital? The trust for CNN is uh, running very high at this time. Uh, the trust in uh, independent global journalism uh, is running very high. Um, that's a really important thing uh, to underline. Uh, now, this is existing at a time where there's a lot of polarization happening. There's a lot of attacks against CNN and a lot of our sisters and brothers that have the same journalistic values that we have. Uh, those things absolutely exist. But there is a motivation to do our jobs better than we ever have. 
and to meet our audiences where they are with, um, uh, again, this idea that uh, we are uh, going to show you a little bit more about how we work, uh, who we are, why we do what we do. We're not going to do stenography journalism. We're go we are, in some cases, going to give you a little bit of perspective and context because there's a lot of different kinds of journalists in the world, right? So it's important to know where someone's coming from, what is their point of view. I'm not talking about opinion, but I am talking about analysis. I'm talking about understanding a lot more about who is delivering you um, the news, whether it's a story that you're reading or a post that you're seeing on social or somebody on air or something you're reading in a magazine. So I think that's super important. Uh, so we see trust running really high. You know, the other thing that question is making uh, me think of, and it's also something that is a big takeaway for me uh, from this uh, year plus with the commission, was there was a moment in Nashville, in our meeting in Nashville, uh, where Dana Coaster, I think I'm saying her name correctly, uh, she had prepared remarks for the commission, and it read like a manifesto, and it was the most powerful and stirring and urgent thing that I felt like I heard from any of our invited speakers throughout the whole process. And she talks about this journey that she has had. It resonated with me as someone who kind of had all these hopes for the internet in the mid-90s. I started in this, as you noted, a while ago. I've been kicking around in this industry for a while. This marriage of, of journalism and technology and all of this hope that we had for what this was, what the internet was going to do for getting more voices out there, for educating people, for arming them with information uh, that they, they might not have otherwise been able to get. But it feels like these days those things aren't happening and that the promise of all those good things that could happen in terms of connecting people, uh, in terms of getting higher quality information spread to more people around the world, uh, that that's been challenged by a wide range of forces, the bad actors, the trolls, the people who are in some cases just trying to spread uh, things that are uh, intentionally wrong and intentionally divisive. So that was one of the moments in the commission process that was a real kind of soul-searching, powerful moment for me. It's a really powerful piece of uh, take stock of what we thought was going to happen versus where we are right now. And, you know, it, it, it ends in saying there's hope <laughs> and we need to kind of turn this around. And, and, and the way that I read it um, is that it's on all of us to do it, you know. Right. right. It's on all of us. We all bear responsibility. We're all not collective victims to this, you know, for this, waiting for someone or, you know, some something to happen. Uh, we all own this, uh, from people who consume news to people who create it and disseminate it, to the technology companies, to the government. Like we, we need to own this, and that's one of the things that I feel like is uh, was a, a, a common sense of mission from the commission's work. Meredith Artley of CNN makes a strong point. Everyone has a role in rebuilding trust and strengthening a crumbling democracy. Here's my final interview with the Institute's Charlie Firestone. 
How much of the responsibility lies on us as citizens? Well, that's exactly what we're saying is that uh, citizens need to take on the responsibility. They need, you know, frankly, the Tea Party uh, in the early parts of this decade were saying, let's take back our government. Essentially, that's the message. We need to act as citizen sovereigns. We need to pick up that responsibility and run with it. We need to talk. We need to engage. We need to be informed. We need to vote. And uh, so it's a very strong message. We say there's a crisis of citizenship and that we have to step up as citizens and meet it. And lastly, Charlie, you know, how urgent is it that we improve trust around uh, these institutions? Are we like teetering on the ed- the edge? Of- well, we the commission says that we're in a crisis of uh, democracy, that uh, losing trust in your government, in your system, in who can run the government, in who the other is, is really a, a recipe for disaster. So we're not there yet. Uh, we think we're at an a inflection point that we need to step up. We, we're, this is a clarion call for people in the media, in the uh, technology world, and particularly citizens and their leaders to uh, take on this responsibility. Responsibility is one of the outstanding values that we are proposing along with transparency, diversity, and innovation. How are we seeing a loss of trust? Can you give an example? Well, the polarization, uh, the fact that people don't even believe the same facts. They walk around and one person's fact is the other's fake news. Uh, An indication is the, the extreme polarization we have, the fact that people are not willing to come together. Patrick Moynihan um, once said, uh, people are entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to their own facts. But yet that's where we are today. People are just accepting the facts that are convenient to them and not necessarily what the, what the real situation is. And that, this isn't on one side or the other. This is generally going on in the country. It's a, it's a bit of a scary time. Yes, that's why we created this commission and why we are calling, making such a strong call for everybody to step up. To read the commission's report and find out more about the commissioners, go to aspeninstitute.org insight. Also find information there about the Institute's communications and society program. That's it for today's show. Help us out. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your review helps others find the podcast. And send us your thoughts on Twitter using hashtag Aspen Insight. Aspen Insight is a production of the Aspen Institute. The Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Thanks to our colleagues with the Communications and Society Program. Additional thanks to the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and members of the Knight Commission on Trust, Media, and Democracy.
I'm Ben Berliner, and Marcy, I'm sad to say that this is your last show. It sure is, Ben. It's been such a good ride being a host of Aspen Insight and telling the stories of the amazing work that's happening here at the Aspen Institute. But I know it's in good hands. The show will continue, correct? Yeah, thanks, Marcy. I'll be sticking around so you'll be hearing more from me. And I'm really excited for the road ahead. I'm excited, too. I'm Marcy Krivenen, signing off. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.